0: so much. That was awesome. Do you all know what my favorite genre of music is? Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars is not a genre of music. <laughs> well, I mean, it is the classic music going in, but... The, the genre of music is folk, folk rock, uh, kind of that. Where, so I love that, I could listen to that um, all day, really. So nothing against the electric, but I love, in fact, one of the things that my son was excited to get away from was the coffee house on Sirius Music that I play all the time in my car, because I love the acoustic. In fact, one of the folks, uh, the bands that I really was, uh, really enjoy is Mumford & Sons. Has anyone w- listened to or know Mumford & Sons? Yes? Yeah, they're pretty good? I-, I not only like them so much because of the genre and their instruments, but also because of their lyrics. You ever notice their lyrics are super soulful? They, they, they have aspects within the lyrics that are intriguing. And I was wondering if they were, um, how there were these biblical themes, if they were doing that in, intentionally. In fact, it's Marcus Mumford, who's, um, he, he's the main author of most of their songs, and he chooses a lot of phrases from uh, classic pieces of literature like Mice of Men and Macbeth and East of Eden. But also, as I was digging in, I found out he is the son of uh, both his mom and dad are vineyard pastors in the UK. And I could tell that there is these these Christian themes uh, of soul, of struggle, of doubt, of faith, of grace, all these things coming through his lyric. And I'm like, I wonder if he still testifies for Christ as they do interviews. And so I started to uh, look and I heard some interviews and read some interviews. And I have to say, I had a disappointment. So now, I, before I say why I was disappointed, I, I do believe that Marcus Mumford, he's on a journey like we all are. And he's still very young. And I pray that he will um, discover a, a greater depth. But in these interviews, he gave the phrases almost predictable. Oh yes, I'm spiritual but not religious. I love Jesus but not the church. I love Jesus but not Christianity. There were all those phrases that were there. And you know, I, I realized I, I could almost predict he was gonna say that because no one likes the church, right? It <laughs> it's not it's it's like you know not you at a party you don't go oh man i love the church that's that that's not really it's not fashionable right it's fashionable not to like the church or to say things or carry attitudes that are negative or dismissive towards the church jesus yes good in fact you could still argue it's fashionable to follow Jesus. It's becoming less and less in our nation. However, it could be argued, it's still fashionable, but the church, no, that ship has sailed a long time ago, hasn't it? And I thought, nobody ever loves the church. Nobody ever shares this deep and abiding love for the church. Now, I, I'm with you. I, I grew up not liking the church at all. I, I, as it's said, I, I did have a drug problem. Every Sunday my parents drugged me to church and I hated it. <laughs> old joke, old joke. I, I was bored out of my school. It was mostly a Presbyterian. And they wore robes and, and all of that, and I, and I was very bored. In fact, one of the issues between me and God with me becoming a pastor was, not Jesus. I was all in on Jesus. It was It was the church. I didn't really want to press into the church. I didn't really want to be a representative of the church. I held some of those huge disappointments and hurts, never, never abused by the church, but I saw the, the hypocrisy oftentimes. I, I heard the hypocrisy. I saw the people that were supposed to be the representative of the church saying one thing and doing another saying one thing and doing bad things and it created this distance, this dislike, so easy to dismiss the bride of Christ. But I think we have an issue. I think we have a challenge. And that is is that Jesus wants us to adore his bride. He wants us to love his church. And I realized that I didn't want to be that guy that stands before Christ Jesus at judgment day to give an account of my life, which we are all going to do, and give an account of my decisions, my actions, my heart, and my soul. And I didn't want to be that person that my life said, Jesus, I was all in on you, but your bride... Boy, she was ugly. She was ugly, Jesus. Didn't like her. That wouldn't be okay if someone said that to me, right? Right? Thank you, yes. And uh, where are you? Mike, there you, come on, Mike, let's go. Hey, right? Why do you want me to wait? <laughs> Thank you, Mike. I didn't want to be that person. And I was like, I, I realize that all of us have respective struggles and difficulties with the church, but Jesus doesn't want us to remain there. Right? Is that fair to say? That that He wants, and for some of us, perhaps we've never been in love with the church. And that's okay. He wants to invite us into this new loving relationship. Yes, for him, I'm so thankful that so many still claim an affection for Jesus Christ. It's at the heart of the matter, absolutely. But I do think he wants to invite us back for some of us to fall in love again, to reclaim that love that affection for the church would you take a moment just in your mind and think about when you when you think about church what are those first thoughts those first reactions to the church some of us might just see it as we tolerate the church or we think it's irrelevant or we're neutral on the church even even positive on the church, I do think that Christ wants us to be more than positive on the church. That he wants us to love the church. In our readings for Immerse, most of our readings, not all of it, but most of it was on the book of Acts. Do you know what the book of Acts is about? It's about church, it's about the beginning. Of the church, it's about the expansion of the church. It's about seeing the persecution of the church, and yet God's Spirit filling the church, the the ecclesia, the people, and in and, and, and despite the persecution of the church found in the book of Acts, it begins to not just grow but thrive, not just survive but begin to reach new cultures, new places to go. From the ends of the earth you can't really say oh i love the book of acts but not the church i don't that that's not okay that that we we get to enter in there and see this expansion of the church and what i'd like us to do is look at a story right in the middle of the book of acts acts 15 if you could open your bibles there with me and we're going to look at a story that i think really contains some of the beauty of the church. What I really like, I think the most important thing is for us to look and, and think about some of the beauty of his church. But in this chapter, we also see the blemishes of the church. In fact, Acts 15 is about a, an issue that potentially could have split this early church, this fragile uh, church that was new and expanding. But they hit a theological issue that was significant and profound. And they could have divided so, in this chapter, we see the beauty of the church, the, the blemishes of the church, and I had two B words. And so I wanted to say healing and restoration. I finally went with balm. Is that okay? Because you remember beauty, blemish, and the balm. What we add perhaps to those places that need healing in terms of our relationship. With the church. So let's pick up the story. This is Acts 15, and Paul and Barnabas were serving in Antioch, and you had a lot of the apostles, the elders, and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And there was a message that was coming out of Jerusalem that was actually different than what Paul and Barnabas were preaching in Antioch. And that was an issue. Picking up in verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. They were believers. They were Christians. They were leaders. Maybe former Pharisees. Stood up and said, the Gentiles, those who are non-Jewish. A lot of scripture sees people Jewish or Gentile. Anyone who's not Jewish is a Gentile. And they said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. All right, kids, I'm not going to explain what circumcision is. All right. If you don't know, ask your mom or dad later. All right. But see, circumcision represented the, the, the law of Moses, the way of the Old Testament. And they were saying, yes, we've seen that God's grace is for everybody. However, you still need to abide... By the ways of Moses, you still have to enter into all the traditions and the laws, especially circumcision. That's a sign of the covenant, and it doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, you need to be circumcised. And you can imagine, now Antioch was mostly Gentile believers, and you can imagine that especially the male Gentile believers had issue with that, right? They were like, what? Really? Yeah, that's part of the sacrifice of Christ. But for Paul and Barnabas, it was was much more than than simply a, a physical act. It was a deeply important theological issue. You see, they were saying, it is by grace alone. This is not okay. This is a different gospel That is being preached. Huge, huge issue for the church. So what Antioch, the church of Antioch decides to do is to send Paul or Saul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem to meet with the elders, the apostles, the leaders and discuss the problem. Verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, shows that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did. us he's talking about what many of us read in acts 10 and 11 uh, about cornelius and and this gentile household and god orchestrated peter this orthodox jew christian jew going to a gentile home proclaiming the gospel they were baptized in the holy spirit just like they were in acts 2 and peter is saying god decided this this is not just a jewish gospel This is a universal gospel. It's for all people. Every tribe, every nation. Verse 8, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them, Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did for us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke of circumcision, of the ways of Moses, of the Old Testament practices that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Those signs and wonders, those miracles affirming the gospel, the message that Paul and Barnabas preached and proclaimed. Verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up brothers. He said, listen to me, Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Rebuild Israel. Rebuild God's kingdom. Its ruin I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind, all of humankind, may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are returning, who are turning to God. And then so they decide to write a letter explaining their decision. And then they do some pastoral accommodations that are there. And the the church rejoices, especially the Gentile men, they're like, whew, all right? Church rejoices in this. As I was reflecting on this passage of scripture, I was thinking about how that we really need to recognize the church as the most really beautiful creation On the face of the earth right now. I was thinking about the the beauty in the sense that this this it can be argued that the church is the most brilliant and magnificent idea that's ever been conceived. That the church is more secure than any nation in the world. It's more populous than any other religion in the world. It's more powerful than any military in the world. It's more precious than any other jewel in the world. You've got this idea and this gift that God conceived and created and is really the source of hope, the greatest hope in all the world. Not hope just for the individual believer, but for the entire world. Whose idea was it to form the church? God, yes, specifically Jesus, he came to not only seek and save the lost. He came to not only to reach out and, and, and take hold and woo fallen sinners, yes, and bring healing and restoration, but he also came to create a community, an ecclesia. He came to build a community of hope that would be his instrument, that would be his agent, that he would use to to reach and restore and transform, yes, broken lives, but this broken world, this broken and corrupt world. He wanted this ecclesia. He said to Peter, he said this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He came to build the church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. Do you realize that the book of Acts, it was facing all this persecution for the first 300 years of the life of the church. It faced abuse and persecution in almost every community and every place that it was spread. And yet the church grew. In fact, it said that the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of of the growth of the church. From this little band, arguably 120 disillusioned and broken people, from that little band, it's expanded to over 2 billion people in the world. It's predicted, we have this false assumption of the church here in the West. Yes, in in the United States and Europe, the church is receding. Do you know that we're a minority around the world? Do you know that there is explosive growth of the church? It's predicted by 2050 that we will reach over 3 billion people that confess Christ. Do you know that around in different places like Asia, like Africa... Like Central and South America, there is this expansive growth. They're facing persecution. They're facing internal conflict, but they continue to grow and spread. We see that the enemy is seeking not just to destroy individuals, but to destroy the church. And yet the church thrives. The church grows. The church multiplies. There's an eyewitness account of a missionary and a pastor in Afghanistan. He was writing about 1971. The Afghan government allowed a fledgling band of Christians, gave them permission to build a church in Kabul. The only church. And um, they allowed them to worship there, but only the the foreign nationals. Um, They wouldn't allow... um, uh, Afghans to worship there, the Afghan people. One Sunday morning, only three years after the sanctuary's dedication, soldiers arrived and began to hack away at the wall between the street and the church building. They had been commanded to bring down this one church in Kabul. It's reported that um, one, uh, one Christian went to, of the congregation went to the Kabul's mayor and prophetically warned, if your government touches the house of God, God will overthrow your government. The mayor responded by ordering the congregation to turn over the church for destruction. The building does not belong to us, but to God, the people of the church replied. We can't turn it over for destruction. So the congregation did something else. They served cookies and tea to the soldiers that were destroying their church. On Tuesday, July 17, 1973, the Afghan soldiers completed their destruction of the church building. That very night, the governor, or, uh, that very night, King Mohammad Zahir Shah, who had ruled for 40 years, was overthrown in a coup. And the 227-year-old monarchy in Afghanistan came to an end forever. The rest is in the history books. Today, there is still no church in Kabul. I believe there's one Catholic church in Afghanistan. But two things are happening. There is an underground movement made up of thousands of Christians, it's believed that are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there's Afghan Christian communities around the world, U.S., U.K., Austria, Finland. What the enemy continues to try and destroy, God says, no, this is my chosen instrument. This is what I want to do. This is how I want, will transform the world. Another absolutely beautiful aspect of the church that I think is in this passage is this idea of unity in the midst of diversity. Look again at verse eight of chapter 15. It says, God who knows the heart, God does not judge us by the color of our skin. God does not judge us by our ethnicity or our background. He looks at the heart. And at the same time, he invites us to a unity of faith. He calls us to celebrate our diversity, our ethnicity, our language, our color. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving his Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate. Doesn't our divided world need to hear that? God is not a God who discriminates and therefore neither should we. Between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. He's inviting He's inviting us to a unity of faith that is this beautiful picture of unity and diversity. Do you know how I know that? Is all through the scriptures, there is not a removal of what makes us unique. In fact, in Revelation 7, 9, we get a glimpse of heaven and what heaven will be like. And when heaven comes to earth and his kingdom is fully consummated, we get a glimpse of this. And it says, at this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the lamb. There's that celebration of seeing all of that. You know, that was one of the delights in serving in City Serve that that Josh was celebrating here. It was a representation of the church just in Colorado Springs that we were serving together. And you saw that on the video side by, by side, and you saw a little bit of the beauty of the church, right? The unity of the diversity of the church, of not a removal of our uniqueness, but a celebration of this unity serving in the midst of diversity. That, that made this point really easy after we watched a video, right? To see that. What other places do we see that kind of unity And diversity. Not very many places. I would say another piece of the beauty is in this community is the incomparably great grace of the Father. You you see this in verse 11 again. Peter says, no, we believe it's not through any work, is not through any action we believe through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved and that same grace is available to each and every one of us Paul said this and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The church is meant to be the presence of the unmerited favor of God. As his people gather, it's meant to be the presence that people come in and taste God's goodness. to Taste God's graciousness, his kindness, his love. What other places in this earth Can people come and and see and feel and press into this incredible grace? Our staff, we were at a conference and uh, we heard, I was reminded of a story, one of my favorite stories. Probably many of you are familiar with the story of five American missionaries Um, that were sent from the United States to reach um, in Ecuador. There was a a tribe of Waodani people in the tropical rainforest to share the gospel, five missionaries. And they had landed in the river, and uh, the Waodani warriors were actually tricked into believing that they were there to be aggressive, to to do violence. And so they came and the uh, warriors uh, stabbed them to death with spears. It was a a, a huge issue. Um, And the church found out about that. The missionaries had guns, but but they had uh, made a covenant with one another that they would not do violence at any cost to the tribesmen even if it meant choosing uh, their, their lives, death over the tribesmen. Who does that? Where do you hear about that in this world? So they were, they were killed and many of the families of the martyred missionaries, instead of harbor bitterness and anger and pain, they continued their ministry to the Waudani people. And in fact, not only did they continue the ministry, some of them moved in and actually lived with the people and the tribe became a Christian uh, tribe. I thought, where else are you going to hear a story like that? In fact, uh, Steve Saint, the son of, Nate Saint, one of the missionaries killed in the encounter, met and built a relationship with the tribesman. I can't really say his name. Mackay, I think is how you say his name. Great movie, um, End of the Spear. And, And it turned out that he and Mackay became great friends. And Mackay was one of those tribesmen that speared his father to death. Where, where else do you hear a story of grace, of forgiveness, of love and affection? Not many other places. In fact, I can't think of any other. Now, you could say, "Yes, Pastor, I know there's, there, there's great beauty in the church, but I've been hurt." I've been wounded. What do I do do with that? How do I fall in love with that? And again, I'm with you. (laughs) As a pastor, I have moments of great discouragement regarding his church and his bride, right? Not having to do with any of you, of course. But what do you do with that? One, you you preach a message to yourself first and foremost about the beauty of the church. Second, I I think Acts 15 has a beautiful picture is that that we honestly, we authentically recognize those blemishes of the church. Don't sweep them under the carpet. We talk about those. We wrestle through those. We discuss I think in this chapter there is the evidence of of such a a large source of blemish, the pride, the issue of pride, of my way, this this broken perspective, self-centeredness, that we wanna do life, we wanna do careers, we wanna do family, and we wanna do church our way. And as we do that, we hurt people. I was gonna share a story of hurt and pain, and I thought, You all have your own stories. Most of you do, right? Do I really need to share a story of that? No, I don't think so. What I really want to talk about is what I I think is this this balm of the church, the healing of the church, and how it models not only the beauty and the brokenness of the church, but also the, the healing of the church. And what they do, one is is they seek the counsel and the voice of the Spirit of God. They know, the early church knows, that the Spirit of God has been given to his church. It's another mega theme in Acts, right? Who's the book of Acts? Is it about the Acts of the apostles, or is it about the Acts of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yes, thank you. Yes, good job, Logan. Yes, and they know that the spirit is alive and well in their community. They're facing this huge issue. And they say spirit, would you help us to understand? If you if you look just a little bit farther down when they write a letter to tell the churches what they've decided, look at verse 28 of Acts 15. I love this. It says Um, This is in a letter to the churches about this issue. And it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Wouldn't that be awesome if we decided all of our issues as a church that we could say at one point, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Wouldn't that be be amazing how many church splits, how much woundedness and hurt would be avoided if we would take the time and say, listen, this is beyond us. I mean, this is huge. And we've got all of these different perspectives and understandings. What does the spirit of God have to say about this? That's what the early church did. They said, Lord, lead us, guide us, direct us. I happen to be in somewhat of a conflict right now. It's like not even resolved. So I was hesitant to share it, but it's not with any of you here, but some denominational leaders that I'm part of a network. And uh, I had great hopes of this network, and yet I continue to be disappointed and discouraged. And there's actually one individual that continues to disappoint and discourage. And I was going to write the, the the facilitator of this network and complain. Wouldn't that be good? Good idea? Ask the Spirit first. Ask the spirit first. Thank you, Mike. That's what I happen to do. I said, boy, that, that's not really healthy, is it? That's not being transparent. Holy Spirit, what do you... What do you think I, I, I should do? And I, and I ended up emailing the both of them simultaneously and just saying, you know, I, I think we're not on the same page. We're struggling here. And I just, I, I wanted to name it with both of you and wrestle through that. And I sent off that email and I had just this great sense that the, the Spirit said, yes, Eric, I just want you to be honest. I don't want you to shape or mold or, you know, do a back door or say some things to this leader about this leader and then I'll explore. Just be Just be honest and transparent. How many church splits would be avoided if we just followed the Spirit in, in in talking it through and being honest. In fact, I think that's another balm of this passage, and that is the humility of discussion. The humility of discussion. The whole chapter is not a fight. And this is a a huge issue. This is a huge issue. But it is a discussion where these key leaders come together and in a respectful way share about the issue. I think the world needs dramatically to hear this. All I hear in terms of politics, and even in places among Christian faith, there is a demonization, there's a dismissal, and there is disdain that happens again and again and again. And we cannot have the humility to say, hey, I might be wrong on this. I might be out of step with the Spirit of God with this. I might not get a perspective that someone else, maybe from a different ethnicity or culture or language, maybe they get something that I don't get. Maybe instead of demonizing them, we need to discuss and wrestle through and process. It's exactly what the church does in this crucial time. I have a good friend who's a pastor and I love him to death. And he has moved from a conservative place theologically to a liberal place on a key issue in the church. And he invited me to talk with him, to help him discern on this key issue. And I said, I said, Bill, I'd be happy to. I, I don't, I, I don't want to risk our friendship, though, on this incru- crucial issue. And he said, Eric, here's the thing. I can't get any of my other evangelical pastor friends to talk to me about this. I said, done. Let's talk about it. I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to love you even though You're arriving at a place that I disagree with. I'm going to love you. And you know, it's been interesting. I have seen a prophetic voice in my friend Bill. I've seen the love and tenderness that he brings to this particular issue. And I have valued that and it has informed and shaped me when I talk to other evangelical pastors about this issue I carry the love that Bill has and one final thing the commitment to unity see this hard to estimate how many denominations are in the world, but something around 30,000 denominations. So that means 30,000 times there's a part where some Christians said, you know what? You're wrong. I'm doing my own thing, right? I think it's pretty clear we need to stop denominating in this world. But I, I, I want to make this point more personal for you. I think it's far more important that we hear this. We need to stop quitting on the church. We need to stop quitting on community. The Christian faith was never designed to live as Lone Ranger Christians. And friends, the culture of our American church is that we either quit on the church or we find another church that's gonna fit our personal preferences better. And I believe we're grieving the heart of the Spirit. We're grieving the heart of the Spirit. I believe just at that point that he brings that conflict and just as he's going to start ministering into our hearts, that he's going to be shaving off those rough edges, just as the spirit is going to start teaching some hard lessons to us, we're done. I'm out. And it grieves the spirit of God. Friends, take a few moments. We're going to prepare for communion if the worship team would like to come forward. I don't know any better of a sign of unity than there is in communion. And would you just take a moment to ask the Lord, Lord, Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us to fall in love with your bride once again? Lord, would you help us not to wallow in the hurt that we've felt by your church? Lord, would you give us the humility of grace it is not your heart when we hurt, but it is your heart that we forgive and that we restore. Lord, help us not to choose bitterness, but your healing and your restoration. Lord, if there's any bitterness in our hearts and souls, Lord, before we take communion, we want to give this to you. Forgive us for not loving one another well. Forgive us for harboring anger and unforgiveness in our hearts. Forgive us for not practicing the grace and forgiveness with others as we have received from you. Like to invite the elders forward. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed. It was right in the midst of brokenness. It was right in the midst of his blemished followers that would betray and abandon him. Right in that he knew it. He saw it. It was right in where, where he knew that they would be scattered. And yet he presented the sacrament for the purposes of unity. He took the bread. He blessed it. And he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after... Supper, he took a cup and he said, This this cup is a new covenant, a new relationship, a place where we get to find his forgiveness, a relationship which we get to discover his unmerited favor and grace and kindness a new covenant in which we get to drink deeply of a God who never gives up on us and never gives up on his bride. He said, this is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we come to this table so thankful for your forgiveness, so thankful for your mercy and your grace. Lord, help us to not only love you back in response to your mercy and grace, help us to love one another as you have loved us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.